Welcome to the Andrew D'Angelo podcast. Constant Constance. Each week, Andrew, renowned jazz saxophonist and brain cancer survivor, invites us to look at the many worlds of his guests with conversations that cover all the arts, human resilience, a little bit of politics, and a lot of humour. You can't fail to have a fantastic time. Everyone, we are here today with fantastic, amazing, beautiful. I'm running out of adjectives for all my amazing musician friends. Drummer and composer Alan Mednard. Alan, man, how are you doing? Oh, Andrew, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm doing all right. You know, just taking it day by day here. Right. You know, trying to just stay positive, stay active, be outside. You know, enjoy the. The randomness of right now <laughs> right I, and i know you grew up in queens right you're originally from queens yeah and born and raised yeah born and raised in queens nice new york and and then where do you do you still live in where do you live in brooklyn or queens where do you live now i'm in brooklyn yeah right by prospect park on the other side of uh right. on the east side of prospect park yeah. and for people who don't know Pro- prospect park is kind of like brooklyn's uh what central park right when you say yeah that? i mean it's a, pretty much it's a beautiful escape from all the madness in the streets. I swear to you, man, <laughs> there's one day, have you been to the Lefrac Center in Prospect Park where the ice skating rink is? And Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know when it was a few years ago. I mean, I've lived in a, two blocks from Prospect Park for maybe, I don't know, 20 years. And then mm-hmm. I walk over to this new Lefrac Center and there are people, at that time, it was summer, so they were roller skating. They weren't ice skating. And then there's, like, turtles, right, and all this stuff. I was like, wait, what? Like, what? This yeah, is it's- literally, like, 10 minutes from my house. Okay, maybe 15 minutes. But it's it's been um, an amazing reprieve for me to, to go in the park and just, I mean, even before, you know, we had this, the pandemic and everything, I, I mean, it was just like, all right, that's my walking meditation. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. No, no, for sure. Yeah. I'm glad a lot of people are taking advantage of that because, you know, being inside all day is not fun. <laughs> it's not right. fun. Right. It's not, you know, maybe a, a day or two here or there, but not like a year and six months. <laughs> well, I, I don't know about you, but I, I mean, when I come home from a, a long tour, I don't mind just staying home for about three days. Maybe mm-hmm. I even don't. It's not, I don't think it's gross. Maybe I don't even shower or whatever or shave. I just mm-hmm. like to spend time hanging out at home. Are, are, are you the same when you get home from a grueling tour? Oh, for sure. Cause it's like, you need, you need some moment to kind of unwind and get all the, you know, energy level to just calm down, you know, cause usually, you know, after a tour, you know, you're pretty excited and pumped and like, you kind of want to keep riding that high, but fatigue starts to hit in and like, Oh wait, I need to like, you know, take care of some, home business errands and just like chill for a bit, you know, like vacuum the house or something like that. I mean, that's yeah, what I do. Know. That's my thing. I'm like, I haven't yeah. been home for three weeks, but I'm going to vacuum and I'm going to like, uh, and speaking of touring, I don't, you, I was talking to, um, I usually hit social media and ask people if they have questions for my guests. And I was talking to Andres Tiedman, you know him, right? Kurt right. Rosenwinkel's manager or at least had, had been for years. And you played with 
Kurt, right? And the he's Anders just said in the quartet. I don't know what quartet was that. Yeah, so that quartet, I guess that was like maybe 2015 or 2016. Uh, it was, uh, you know, Kurt Parks, Aaron Parks, uh, and Eric Rivas, and then myself. Right. And then we did a couple tours that Rivas wasn't on. Orlando Fleming played on some of those. And uh, yeah, that was that was a great time. That was that was totally. Uh, I've never had more fun yeah. than traveling with uh, Eric Rivas and Kurt Rosenwinkel. Those two are just uh, a party, like twenty four hours a day. And right. I don't necessarily mean like drinking or whatever drugs, but I just mean they're just. It, Kurt's always willing to chat with me, and Rivas mm -hmm. like lights up after the gig. And I mean, lights up just energy wise. And uh, I'd love to hear you and Rivas play together. Uh, oh, one, what? No, he's, yeah, he's, he's definitely one of my favorite bass players to li like listen to and play with, you know, you know, growing up listening to all those Branford recordings, you know, it's like you know, his, his presence and sound in that group is, you know, it's insane, you know? Yeah. Eric's got the most amazing sound. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was uh, and in this conversation, right? So we're on social media and, you know, people are just chiming in. Somebody mentioned about you that, well, they actually made a statement. They said, I don't like drum solos that are all technical. I like melodic solos. And that's, I, and they said they thought you, Alan, yeah. had this melodic sensibility to your playing on the drums. And, and I agree. It's not something I don't think I ever consciously thought about when I, when I've played, when we played together. Right. But is that a fair assessment of your, of your musicality and your approach to the drums or. Uh, I mean, that's, that's very kind words. I'm glad someone was able to share that. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I always think of melodies like constantly, like, you know, I'll be doing laundry and either something that I listened to recently is, you know, stuck in my head or just some random, car horns or birds or something like there's always this like sound coming in so i'm always trying to like figure out oh what what this could be or what this is not could be or something uh, and i definitely take that approach with you know playing in groups you know like for myself i'm not really that into you know drum solos that much because it's like everyone just stops playing and it's just drums <laughs> right. that's cool that's cool, but you know, everyone well everyone else is soloing, it's like it's all interactive, you know. So I'm always appreciative of like when when it's like, you know, a group a group conversation during solos and stuff. It's not just like, all right, you go or everyone stop and just watch or something, you know. So I definitely definitely think of melodies for sure. It's definitely not like consciously all the time, but you know, always trying to serve the song or the piece of music or, you know, the the group setting in that moment, you know, like being present. Uh Wow, that was a lot. Serve the song and being present. And I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever listened to it, uh, the studio recording we did in, I guess it was two, two, 2019, and we're playing that Ornette Coleman tune, Broadway Blues. And I also don't understand the whole, okay, everybody drop out drum solo, everybody <laughs> drop out bass solo, right? I, I don't really understand that. I'm not against it. I just don't, I think. So, and on Broadway Blues, I said, I'll just keep comping for you and then you go. And you really, man, again, I don't know if you've heard uh, that track. And if you haven't, I, I probably should have sent it to you. But man, you're playing some cool stuff. And it's just like, it's a, oh man, really. and the recording engineer even noted, he goes, this is really, 
really nice. I said, yeah, I figure, you know, Alan or whatever drummer is working for my ass when I'm like blowing or improvising, <laughs> right? Why not uh, do the same, right? I mean, right? Totally. I mean, I'm always a big fan of like compositions that have this kind of relay method thing going on where it's like, you know, it's like, a, it's like you know, let's, let's say if it's like a group dinner and, you know, the conversation, the main points or themes get passed around and, you know, someone, you know, adds or takes away or argues or, you know, just keep, it just keeps moving. You know what I mean? I, I totally dig that in, in the group, group playing, you know? So, so right. So, but if, if you're like, let's say you're at a dinner party, right. And you're having this conversation, I don't know, there's five people there, whatever, four people. In that case, people are, there's nobody comping or playing or talking at the same time. I mean, in my family, we all talk at the same time, right? <laughs> Italians, but you know what I mean? So maybe that that's like a, a rebuttal to our whole no drum solos or no bass solos alone because mm. right. When you're having conversation, you don't. True. True. But you know, as you know, if, if it's like, let's say one person's taking the, the mantle and whatever topic and then someone else chimes in like, wait a minute, you know, I didn't really understand that or someone else brings up another related topic or, you know, it can kind of keep, it can kind of keep moving around. It doesn't have to, there's no, there's never like just one person hopefully not just talking the whole time and no one gets to say anything or have any input or any questions or response to it. You know what I mean? Like in the musical setting, there's, you know, there may be like the front person or whatever, but there's always some type of, you know, group conversation, at least in the groups that I like to listen to, you know? Right. And so I, I've had this, uh, basically I would just say burning, question for you because one time when I, I I tried to call you and you said I have to teach a lesson right or I think you said you had to teach several lessons and so you couldn't speak uh, I'm Alan Alan what are what are your concepts what do you what what are your are your students beginners are they you know what are they and and what when you're talking to your students what what are you what concepts are you giving them uh, I'd say for the most part, they're usually like intermediate, you know, kind of people that can kind of play, but are still need to get a lot of things together. Uh oh, lot if your students are watching this. <laughs> 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 oh no, you know, it's, it's always, it's always cool. You know, there's never, uh, there's never any like talking down or up or it's just like, it's always like a good conversation, you know, but I, I think I like to just always talk about just like basics and fundamentals, just like, you know, posture, you know, sound, um, checking out, you know, the masters of your instrument and the masters of other instruments, you know, checking out recordings uh, that don't, don't have drums or even like, you know, heavy rhythm sections, just like, just m more on the like basics and fundamentals. I feel like a lot of times that gets uh, overlooked, especially like in, school settings you know what i mean like whether it's like collegiate high school or whatever the basics are just like you know one day and then we're we're you know advanced harmony two weeks later it's just like that's not how it really works you know kind of always have to in my opinion always keep working on the fundamentals because that's what you know you can have you can build whatever on top of that as long as you have like a good foundation so you know if you're 
if your technique is like messing up your back and you know your shoulders are all off and you know you don't know how to hold the sticks properly that's going to be that's going to cause a lot of trouble for you down the road if you continue you know right right so let's all right so i'm going to sit up <laughs> I, I was watching this uh live with tyshawn sorry you know him right the drummer and composer uh, the man and, right and anyway uh tyshawn i love you he's coming on the show which would be great and you know He's like all slumped over, like playing paradiddles, talking over himself or whatever he was doing on a snare drum. I couldn't really hear him that well. And uh, but, you know, he's just, in my opinion, absolutely a genius. I mean, I, I love that guy. And I'm like, yeah, what's up, Tyshawn? And then, you know, this is great. And he's talking to me and also playing. But also the lighting's weird and he's still pulled back in the camera shot. And I, But I was like, yeah, I mean, all that stuff is important, right? your posture and your, your, your technique. But in that comment, in that, uh, the comment thread where I was interacting with Andre Seidman and, and some other people whose, whose names I, I don't actually recall, and it doesn't matter when they were saying, I don't like technical drum solos. I like melodic drum solos. And that's what reminds me of Alan Mednard. And I agree. So, but why, why is, what is technique? That's really what I what I'm after is like what when people say technique on the saxophone they mean right playing fast what knowing chord changes I don't know because why guess, can't like having a beautiful sound be technique or oh no that 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 is definitely part of it too like like it's, let, when we're like, when we're talking about dr like drummers per se like you're you know you can look across the gamut of whatever genre style you know, there's always like, you know, like technical masters and just people that just have, you know, feel they can just, you know, they might not have the right technique or, you know, proper education or whatever, but they just have this feel for whatever band or style. So, so it, it, it can definitely vary, but I think technique means, at least to me, it's just like an understanding of how the instrument works and how your body uh, can get the best out of it, you know? So like, you know, it's not really a visual thing per se. Um, like if someone plays like hunched over or, you know, super laid back, it's more about just how does that person get the best out of the instrument that they're, you know, accustomed to playing or want to play or something, you know? So there are many ways to go about that. You can always talk about, you know, in drums like rudiments or, you know, sight reading or, you know, playing by ear, you know, learning harmony, all, all that stuff is great and all, but, you know, the person has to find their own attachment to the instrument and, you know, make the best use out of it. You know, if they, you know, I guess that's my kind of technique word, you know, understanding of technique. You know? Right. So finding their own attachment. One of, one of the things that um, came to mind when I, I thought about uh, having you on the show was that, I mean, I've, I've never given you a drum part, right? <laughs> I mean, I, you've given me parts to play and um, or notes or a score, whatever the case may be, but you, you've never received a drum part from me. And I don't know, maybe you have in other situations. I, I don't think Kurt Rosenwinkel, writes drum parts i'm not really sure i don't not in my my experience with with our uh, uh many years of playing together so what so what are you doing 
Alan, are you visualizing a drum part? Are you just, like you said, I, I can't remember what you said earlier about um, just integrating yourself into the music. Are you just, I'll stop putting words in your mouth. I, I'm <laughs> curious, like, because it, like, it's very odd. Like no. Jer you play with Jeremy Pelt, right? right? He doesn't give you a drum part, but I, I know he's playing some written stuff. I mean, at least right. on uh, on some of the things that I heard heard you do with him. So I'll, I'll stop there. No, no, for sure. It it is it it is uh you know, it, there's a wide gamut of how you know certain bands operate. You know, there's definitely some groups that that I've played in where it's like pretty specific. Like you have a part, and you know, there's some improvising, but there's this part that you kind of need to just lay down and that's, that's totally fine. I don't really uh, like or dislike. It. It's just, that's what it is, but um, right. definitely more into the more organic type of playing music where it's like, it's a group we get together. We kind of just kind of workshop the material, you know what I mean? Or we just, we just go in and hit and whatever happens happens, you know? Uh, so usually, you know, if we're kind of workshopping, you know, I'll try to like ask, you know, the composer or band leader, like what type of thing are you looking for? Or if you have any type of references, you know, this is kind of like a second line meets ECM, I don't know, Chicago groove or something, you know, something, just something to get it like starting, you know, or if they're really open, you know, they'll just let me try a bunch of different things or, you know, we'll, we'll just workshop like two or three songs at one rehearsal one week and listen back and see what works or what doesn't work. So overall, I'm just trying to like serve the song best. And sometimes, you know, composer or band leader has it like dead on, like something specific and that's what they want. And it's cool. Other times they might have something specific, but it actually doesn't work. So, you know, if they're able to be accommodating with everyone in the band, we get to readjust and make sure, you know, there's some type of uh, groundwork or foundation. Cause sometimes there'll be parts for drums that it's not really grounded. And um, what do you mean by not grounded? It sucks. No, I, <laughs> no, <I'm> <laughs> <laughs> I would just, I would just say like, no one can really figure out like where the time is. If like, if it's too much, too much floatiness, right. that makes any sense, you know? not saying you have to like play you know two and four or something like that but you kind of have to like mark certain things especially if it's like a lot of interactive stuff going on because otherwise then it's like what's the point if it's not if everyone can't follow along if it's like if everyone's kind of guessing where <laughs> you know where b5 or seven or whatever is you know it can kind of can cause a lot of unnecessary headaches you know yeah. oh i think for me that's one of the things that I've loved when I've played with you is that, you know, how I like to kind of overlay and change where I want one to be when I'm playing. And, and you, you generally don't aren't influenced by that. I play with drummers where they are influenced by that. In other words, if I change where one is or where four is or where seven is, they, they shift with me. And I'm like, no, not, mm -hmm. that's not, not the point. I am. That's, the whole thing I'm doing is, I guess, maybe a Steve Wright thing, if you want to mm -hmm. like throw some kind of label on it. But, and uh, I, I, this is something I've always appreciated about you where the musicality isn't lost because you're allowing me as a, 
an improv composer, whatever the case may be, to shift. And you're shifting with me, but not also just, you know, saying, yes, sir, now one is here, right? Or mm. four is here. Does that make any sense? Or am I just totally out of my mind? No, no, that to makes total sense. Because I think, especially with a lot of your music, or it's just some of music, it's like, you're you're open to possibilities. You're not, you're not saying like, this is my tune by Andrew D'Angelo, and we're going to play it the same way every time. Right. You know, yeah. that's not. I think thing. that's been proven over time. <laughs> I think I pretty much established that. Nah, you can kind of <laughs> do it however you want. <laughs> and and I, I think you know, I feel like that's that's what makes this music so so much fun and exciting. It's like each time can be totally something different. You know, the mood can totally shift within the tune, beginning and it, it can be. It you know, it's always like morphing into something or it can always morph into something. And I always, I always really dig that because, you know, not, not to knock, you know, other types of styles or genres, but, you know, playing the same thing the same way every time is kind of boring to me, you know, there, there's a, um, and I, I'm pretty sure I talked about this on the podcast before, but some comedians were talking to, I believe it was Eddie Van Halen's son. And I'm pretty sure. And they were saying there's this weird thing. Like comedians actually can't do the same material for very long. And they may, may do it for a year or something or maybe even two or three years. And then they do a special. And then you can't do that material again. Like Jerry Seinfeld or whoever – can't go out and make those same jokes because we've heard them. But right. musicians, I mean, I don't know who's touring, Kiss, Led Zeppelin or whatever. They're playing the same fucking songs they did like 30 years ago. It's very fascinating to me. And, you know, even when I like go down to small, excuse me, or something like that, and people are playing songs from, you know, these standards are 50, sometimes 60 years of age. And I, I don't understand. I don't understand why we're doing that. I I know with you and me, we played standards, but I was doing my best to make them new. Mm -hmm. But what what is what's the fascination with this in, in, in our world? I think I think uh, it's tough, but I think some of it. I know tough question. I'm sorry, and no, I, no, I, no, I'm no. lobbing this at you, <laughs> and I apologize. You totally don't have to answer, but I'm just curious what you think. No, I think a lot of it is just unfortunately, it's like the education of the music. It's like a lot of these schools, you know, conservatories or whatever programs kind of indoctrinate students. Like in order to play this music, you have to learn all this material. And, you know, it's, there's, there's some validity to it for sure. You know, learning what came before and, you know, you can kind of hopefully carve your own path. Yeah. But yeah so learn it and then move <laughs> on. Why right. at age 40 or 50, I, I know you're in your 30s, but you know what I mean? Why Then why still be doing it? I get it, right? I mm -hmm. did that too. I did the big band. I learned standards. I can still play my romance and Bye Bye Blackbird mm -hmm. and, you know, the other songs I've done with you from memory from when I was a kid. But why are we still doing them later in life? Yeah, I think, I think also between the education and just the – I guess there's, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's a stigma for people trying to just branch out and do their own thing. Like, oh, like, why are you trying to do this? Why can't you just play, you know, 
some 60s music or something. I, I'm not sure why exactly people feel, you know, maybe scared or hindered to try to branch out and do their own thing. But maybe I feel like it's it's kind of like a safety net that no one wants to, not no one, but many people are afraid to like rip away. You know, it's like if I, if, if I, if I do something else, no one's ever going to listen to me or check, check me out or something. So I gotta, I gotta keep, you know, recording. Uh, <laughs> there will never be another you or something. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> right. All right. So everybody during the break, we were talking about, excuse me, the fact that you haven't done your own solo project yet. And what does that look like? Uh, it, you know, let's say somebody gave you, I don't know, 20 grand or something, whatever, a hundred grand. It said, do whatever you wanted, make a record, make an album, make a single, whatever you wanted to do, make a video. What, what, what does that conceptually, what does that, what does that mean to you? What, what would it look like? So luckily like this past summer, I was able to do a stream for a good friend of mine, uh, Desmond White, great bass player, Mr. Like King of DIY, like he does all this video and edit audio and photography. But um, so I was able to, he, he brought me on to do a, a solo thing. And essentially what I did was I took two contrasting like speeches. Uh, one was from, um, I guess like 63 or four was from MLK. And I took another speech that was from uh, John Lewis and um Essentially, I just like improvised uh, with both of them, not like simultaneously, but like one after the other and kind of like did um, like an in interlude that migrated the two, uh, which was pretty cool. And currently, like I'm working on a few more of those to like release later this summer, just because I, I'm not really trying to get a bunch of people together in the studio. Just not yet. You know, I just feel like really once the pandemic is kind of like severely squashed, then I, I want to get people together to like rehearse a bunch of things and hopefully put out something maybe next year or the year after, you know, depending on how the whole landscape looks. Cause there's just so much, so much up in the air right now, but later this summer, there'll be some, <clears throat> some more of those videos. And if you want to see like how, how it came out, I would say just go to underexposed.live is the website and it's episode one. That's, that's, that's what I'm on. And you can get a better sense of how it, how it sounds. And I think with, for what I'm going to do later this summer, it's going to look a little different, but I don't want to give too much away. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I, I can tell by the way you're talking, you don't want to give too much away. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, when, when we publish your episode, let's, uh, let's put a link to that in the, oh, in for the, sure. So, so people can go watch it. Um, do you want to describe that particular uh, setting? Do you want to give more, I mean, on something that's already done? Because mm -hmm. it's not something you and I have discussed much as, as many times as we've rehearsed and done shows. And also, I just want to mention, you know, those silly Facebook memory things that come up. <laughs> um, it was a show we did at the jazz gallery. Do you remember that show we did? Oh, right. Yeah. 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 And uh, for me, that was one, one of the funner shows you and I did together, but I, I don't know if, how it was for you, but I, I like not having to use a microphone. I like the sound oh, in that sure. room. And I love the fact that, uh, what's her name at the jazz gallery? What's her name again? Uh, oh, Rio. Rio. That she just kind of says, you know, do whatever you want. You know, I, right. I mean, I've played the Vanguard, the village Vanguard, as you have, Mm -hmm. You know, where, you know, when Lorraine was alive, 
the then owner of the village Vanguard, you know, kind of wanted you to play standards or not mm. you, just anybody. So right. it's nice. Rio's kind of just do whatever you want. And, you know, I think the particular clip was you and me and Carmen Rothwell on bass. We were just kind of just playing a song, you know, making right. the song in the moment. But it sounds like what you're doing with this project, with the MLK and the John Lewis speeches, that maybe you're spending a lot of time, what, dissecting, thinking about it? Are you composing? Are you writing shit down? Or what are you doing there? So some, some of it is definitely written, written out. Um, but I would say majority of it will be uh, mostly improvised just because as like a, as a solo you know, project, I don't want to be too tied down and be like, oh, this is how I played it. And, you know, if, you know, venues start opening up again and then like, hey, we want you to play that. Like, I'm just like, no, that's not, you know, in the description would be pretty clearly labeled. This is, you know, not, you know, a formally written down composition, you know, more of like interacting if I were with a group, but with the words of, you know, people that I always look up to and find, you know, never ending, you know, inspiration. So that, that's one aspect of it. And there's going to be a few different other angles that I take with it, that, but I just don't want to, I don't want to give too many because, you know, I want someone to steal my shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've been wanting people to steal my shit all my life. I'm like, please, somebody. But uh, speaking of John Lewis and MLK, I follow uh, Martin Luther King's son on Twitter and I'm, I don't remember his son, you, uh, his name. Do you remember his son's name? Um, I'm embarrassed. I don't remember his name. He's like I don't, a few though, right? He's yeah. And, and I don't think yeah. that, uh, he calls himself his real name. It's something like the King or something like this, mm -hmm. the Martin Luther King. But, uh, in your experience, um, I think you said you were born in, in the U S but your, your, your parents are from Haiti. Yeah. Does that make you first generation or what does that make you? Yeah, first, first, first generation. Yeah, cool. And so, have you experienced, you know, overt racism? I mean, I, I know you, uh, during the break you were telling me the story on the subway when the transit police what they. Yeah, so this was like coming. This is like maybe oh, I guess fresh. Yeah, freshman year in high school was part of this like all city high school marching band. Then you know we would rehearse in the city somewhere in midtown. I forgot the school. I think actually that school was gone. They like knocked on that building. But anyway, uh, you know, we're come, coming home from rehearsal and we were just like, you know, we're just making noise on the platform, just like, you know, with our like sticks and mallets. And then the transit cops comes up and pulls up on us, you know, nothing, nothing crazy happened, but it was kind of like a show of like, you know, you can't do this, but, you know, I'm just, I'm just bothering you because I'm a transit cop and, you know, yada, 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 you know. So the and the only other time that I have had any encounter with the police was maybe like in twenty uh, must have been like twenty ten or eleven. I was running outside my Queens and um this undercover uh patrol car, like unmarked, just like swerved right in the middle of the street, was like, Hey, hey, you know, stay right there, you know. You have any idea in you? You know, we're looking for someone that fits the description. I'm just like Guys, you have the wrong person. Like I can tell you. you yeah, know, but you're black, so you fit <laughs> the <laughs> description, right? I mean, right. it's just so out how this works, man. It's so yeah. out, right? But luckily, nothing. Yeah, luckily, nothing happened. But you know, it took a couple of days for me to realize. Oh man, this you know stuff on the news can literally happen anywhere. You know what I mean? So you know, it's like 
you know, it's definitely messed up. And, you know, I'm, I'm with and support a lot of these, you know, slogans that are being, um, you know, all posted all over social media. And, but I think the biggest thing is instead of like saying reform this, reform that, I think it really needs to come down to transformation. Um, like all these various systems needs, need transformation, you know, whether you're talking about, you know, the police, police union, um, you know, racism, you know, the courts, you know, affordable housing, you know, homelessness, um, inequality, you know, it's like all across the board, everything actually needs to be transformed. And the biggest thing with that is like, it's not going to be instant, you know, it's going to actually take like, I don't know, hundreds of years actually to really get things correct, you know, cause it's, everything is just so messed up. Like, like everything is messed up. What, what, when I was coming up, all right. So, and I grew up in a middle-class neighborhood mm. in Seattle. Uh, yeah, pretty much all white, pretty much. Um, and you know, in school, like grade school, junior high, even high school, we were taught, you know, slavery happened 800 million years ago. Mm. Right. Mm. And racism, you know, happened way back in the fifties, but now we're all cool. Right. Mm. And then all of a sudden, all of this stuff going on with the Derek Chauvin trial and the Dante Wright and on and on and on and on. It's like, yeah, I think you're, you're, you're right. Alan, mm -hmm. maybe that, that <laughs> it's not going to, it's not going to be like tomorrow. We're cool. Derek right. Chauvin gets convicted. All right. We're cool. I don't know because mm -hmm. I, I'm a white male. What do I mm -hmm. know? But it's just, uh, I, I'm curious to your thoughts. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty hard to think about, you know, but we, we all need to really think about it and see how we can all improve like the conversation, but also, how can we improve, you know, through action and like electing the right people into the right places of power to actually invoke change. And what really gets me a lot of times is like, you know, we elect, you know, whoever, whatever party or whatever. And, you know, once, once they're in that system, you know, they, they have to cater to the people that, you know, funded their campaigns or that own them, right. They can yeah, that, own them. Yeah. So it's like this like vicious cycle that, needs to be broken so like like all across the board of whatever subject that you think you know bothers you or gives you you know keeps you up at night really needs to get transformed you know it's like i don't know how that starts with government because it's like you need money to run a campaign and you know if you're independently wealthy okay that kind of works but then you are in a different echelon you can't really relate to the people that are, you know, working class or poor or even middle class, you know, but let's say you come up from a working or middle poor working class and you run and you, you know, raise a lot of money, but then, you know, you have to, it's like a quid pro quo, you know, it's like, you got to take care of the people that got you there. And, you know, a lot of times it's like, you know, especially in New York or Albany, it's a lot of real estate individuals or, Excuse me. you know, tech, com tech companies or, you know, police unions, teacher unions, you know, it's like, yeah, it's all, it's, it's a web of mess. <laughs> yeah. Right. And not to get, you know, too political, but I, I am having a guest on who is, uh, she doesn't like to call herself a political, political activist, but she is. And 
on some level, AOC has done that, who made mm -hmm. all these promises and I'm, you know, I'm like on your side. And then once she got in the system has totally turned around, at least in this, this person's uh, mind that I'm about to interview. It's very interesting. You know, you're like, man, I'm going to make all these changes and I'm going to fix all this and I'm going to, you know, fix racism. And then, but then you get in the system and then you're kind of like owned. Yeah. Is, is that kind of what you're saying or am I putting words <laughs> in your mouth? No, that's that's pretty much it. Because like when you think about like here in New York, like you know, Bill De Blasio, you know his whole campaign when he first ran, which is almost like eight years ago, was you know he's going to end the tale of the two cities. You know, obviously, you know he didn't envision a pandemic happening, but um, yeah, but that is like, but the have and have nots have been like completely been pushed further and further apart. You know, there's no real middle. You know, it's like you either have a lot of money or no, none, you know, either you have like a great apartment in a great neighborhood or you're kind of like, you know, someplace where you're not really comfortable, but the building's nice or the landlord's shitty or, you know, it's or like he didn't really, good. <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, you know, he didn't really fulfill his promises, you know, you know, a lot of empty promises with that guy. Right. I, I, I agree. And I, I'm just curious, maybe in conclusion, and more specifically, in the music business industry, have you experienced any overt racism or, or anything that you could say was, you know, racist or? Not nothing like upfront. That's like that's been actually kind of like a kind of blessing or maybe a curse. I don't know. I've never experienced any like overt racism like on the bandstand or at some venue or because I feel like most of the places that I would say most but I would say probably like 99% of the places that you know we get to play at are usually cool you know what I mean there's never really any beef or you know what are you doing here or hey let me see your badge or do you have a do you have access or something like no it's like it's always been cool and cordial which is I you know which is something I always appreciate about you know because it's like it doesn't cost anyone to be nice. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't cost you anything. Just be cool. <laughs> Just right. be cool. Right. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that being said, um, at the end, I, I, I like to ask people, um, I guess if they have anything they'd like to, you know, share with the world, like either words of wisdom. I mean, you've done that pretty much throughout, but if there's mm -hmm. anything that you want to close with, or, mm -hmm. you know, you're, Let's say you're doing a show and you want to end on a high note. And I don't know what that high note is. <laughs> if there's anything you want to say, share. Sure. Whatever. I mean, I would, I would just say throughout this whole time, you know, I think folks really need to find, you know, a balance of, you know, joy and happiness with whatever that means. As long as, as long as you're not hurting yourself or someone else, just find some type of balance and, you know, whatever, you know, stay motivated, stay hungry, you know, stay eager, continue to learn, get some air, chill out. You know, this is not forever. So just, you know, keep, keep on keeping on. That's all I'll say. I, I have to say something about you. Beautiful. And I, I've been in many different contexts with you and I've never seen you get angry, which mm. is, I, I mean, I am not, I'm a Scorpio, right? So <laughs> I have my moments and, uh, 
for people who aren't into horoscopes or astrology, that just means that, you know, I have a stinger. And Alan, you've <laughs> just always been just such a positive, mm -hmm. beautiful, wonderful, amazing musician and just a really nice guy. You've let us use your rehearsal space, which I know you rent and you've done, you've booked shows. And anyway, I, I thank you for all that. And thank you for just being a light, uh, just a beautiful light in this world. It's really, oh, really Thank nice. you, Andrew. Really appreciate that. And really appreciate you. And thanks for having me on this, man. You're welcome. Uh, th that made me feel good. See, Alan's a great guy, man. All right. <laughs> Love you. And uh, have a beautiful evening or rest of your day and evening. And uh, yeah. All right, man. Take care of yourself. You, right. You too, man. Thank All you, right. man. Peace. 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 Bye. See you. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Constant Constance. Tune in every week for new conversations. And if you want even more, check out Andrew's Patreon for more exclusive content and additional conversations. Hosted and produced by Andrew D'Angelo. Edited and mixed by Lucy Little. Original music by Andrew D'Angelo and Maximilian Moore D'Angelo. Intro is Henrietta Weeks. Thanks so much. See you next time. You fucking, yeah, you fucking rocked it. Like she doesn't, it. she doesn't know she says podcast, right? Like she doesn't even. <laughs>